Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This episode is brought to you by the Inspire Collection by Kalia. Just because you're working out doesn't mean you shouldn't look fabulous. The Inspire Collection by Kalia was designed with both style and performance in mind. It looks good, feels good, and stays put no matter how you move. And the collection has everything you need for a day at the gym. A support bra, crop tanks, bike shorts, amazing leggings, and more. It's their most versatile collection yet. Shop the Inspire Collection by Kalia now, exclusively at Dick's Sporting Goods. At IKEA, your dream home is a blue bag away. No matter the size of your space or budget, we've got everything you need to turn your dreams into reality. And now with new lower prices on hundreds of our most popular products, bringing the dream home is even easier. Like the gray Strandom wing chair, was $369, now $299. And the IKEA Plus 365 nine-piece cookware set was $129.99, now $89.99. And hundreds more. Shop new lower prices at ikea-usa.com today. Hey, welcome to Ikea, where even this desk is circular. Huh, how so? Looks pretty rectangular to me. It's because we're always looking to repair, reuse, and we love our products, like buying back your Ikea items for store credit. Or shop our as-is section for great deals. You can even order free spare parts. Get on the circular path for a more sustainable future. Still a rectangle. Get started at ikea-usa.com slash circular. Visit ikea-usa.com slash circular for as-is information and buyback and resale terms and conditions. Spare parts not available for all products. Hello and welcome to the Olive Magazine podcast. My name is Janine, I'm the food editor and I'll be your host for this episode. This week, Laura and Sarah get an education in all things rum-based with a tutored tasting from world rum ambassador Ian Burrell. It's a tough job but someone has to do it. We also discuss the eternal appeal of afternoon tea and how it's had a bit of a modern makeover. And I head to Italian restaurant Lanima to get a chef's view on why octopus is such a hot trend right now. First up, editor Laura and drinks writer Sarah brush up on their rum knowledge. Okay, so today we are joined by Ian Burrell, who is a global rum ambassador, which is a job title that I'm very jealous of. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> sounds incredible. And so Ian, if you just want to introduce yourself a little bit, where you started. and Yeah, um, well, Ian Burrell, I'm a global rum ambassador, and uh, um, basically I just travel around the world getting people to drink rum with me. Great. <laughs> and, um, I get paid for doing it. Amazing. Yeah, so it's uh, sort of good fun. You've just come back from Amsterdam, haven't just you? Just got back from Amsterdam doing um, the first of our 10 European city tour. Okay. Uh, me and a fellow, a fellow bartender um, so we're, we're bringing some rum knowledge to bartenders young bartenders up and up and coming um, through tastings and then showing them how to use rum in cocktails okay. and then we finish off the evening by doing a couple of hours behind the bar as guest bartenders amazing, amazing. <laughs> awesome yeah. so it's such a vast category people don't kind of realize how much there is to rum it's true. Very a lot true. of people don't even realise that Bacardi is rum. That's right. I've, yeah, I've had a few people who's come into my old bar that I used to work in, and uh, they'd, they'd ask for, for example, they'd ask for, um, they'd say they wouldn't like rum, but they'd ask for a mojito uh, <laughs> with Bacardi inside yeah. there. And we're like, well, Bacardi is rum. And they're like, no, it's not. I'm like, yes, it is. <laughs> what is it? And they're like, they don't know. Um, but <clears throat> that's just clever marketing by Bacardi. Um, yeah. Back in the days, um, they were trying to be, be bigger than rum. They were just trying to be the brand. Yeah. But now they understand how important rum is. They're, they're now aligning themselves back to the rum category. 
Yeah, and you also run um, Rumfest. Yeah, yeah. Um, Rumfest is um, a uh, two or three day event, in fact, now. Um, it celebrates the category of rum. So we have rums from all over the world. People come and taste and sample and experience rums in different ways, whether it's with cooking or pairing with chocolates, pairing with marshmallows, yeah. um, wow. <laughs> cocktails. Uh, chefs are cooking with the rums. They get to try and sample rums from all different ages and we even have a rum auction with Christie's where uh, we raised uh, about £10,000 last wow. year for charity. Incredible. So, so where is that? That's at, um, well, it's in the Arms Court, but a place called the Islick Conference Centre okay. down on um, Lily Road, near West Brompton Station. So uh, yeah. right, in fact, it's part of the Ibis Hotel. Okay. So we use the uh, big exhibition hall inside there. And when um, is that? Uh, it's the 22nd and 23rd of October okay. uh, this year. So This is the 10th anniversary. This is the 10th anniversary, yeah. yeah, so yeah longest running rum fest in the world. Yeah. Um, in my yeah. diary now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Make sure I get you some tickets too. Yeah, <laughs> thanks. Thank <laughs> Good contact. <Yeah. laughs> One of my favourite things about Rumfest is the golden top tokens. Oh, the golden top tokens, yes. That's Which, a, a new initiative we started about two years ago. Yeah. Yeah, we give people a chance because you come there and you pay your money and you can sample any of the rums on offer. Um, with your glass but um, there are a few brands that are quite rare um, that they'll mm. sell in the bar they'll be like 20, 30, 40 pounds a shot um, yeah. so for an extra 5 pounds you get a golden tot wow. and you can sample one of these rare or old or expensive rums okay, um, and such and t- well, you, until they're gone yeah. <laughs> one or you fall over one of them fall over Okay. But actually, yeah, it's a great initiative to get into. You get to sample and taste um, some rare, some rare rums for a really yeah. affordable price. Great idea. Yeah. So we haven't got anything quite as expensive here today. <laughs> oh, but it's but, still expensive. Yeah, so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we've so we're tasting three different rums yes. today. We've got Havana Seven, mm-hmm. um, Appleton's Rare Blend. I think oh, it's called you're now. Good, you're good. You're good. Female rum ambassador. <laughs> <laughs> <That's laughs> She's after your job. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Diplomatique Reserva Exclusiva. Mm. So they're all from different countries. That's right. All yeah. different age expressions mm-hmm. and all very different. That's so right, yeah. we're going to start with the Havana 7. Mm-hmm. If you just want to kind of talk us through, I mean, a lot of people won't have tasted rum. Yeah, meat. it's true. Not uh, Because uh, as, as we always know that rum and rum cocktails are some of the most popular cocktails on the on, on the bars. People always asking for a mojito and there's the Mai Tais, daiquiris, pina coladas, dark and stormies now. Yeah. So people are really loving rum cocktails. But a lot of the premium rums are now starting to market themselves and getting people to sample and drink them neat. And they're appealing to uh, whiskey drinkers, brandy drinkers, cognac drinkers okay. um, as well. So rums being drunk neat is now a, a fast-growing trend. Right. Um, or you have a couple of cubes of ice or a dash of water. But um, yeah. I always like to sip it neat um, okay. so you can get a real flavor. <laughs> yeah. Product. I have to say, I am not a massive whiskey fan, as I admitted okay. in one of our latest mm. issues. Yeah. Um, so rum is kind of my spirit of choice to kind yeah. of finish off. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, what you say there is exactly what's been echoed around the world. Um, and funny enough, with, with women, because women uh, are actually outnumbered men anyway <laughs> when it comes to when it comes to population and for drinking. But um, rum is a much more acquirable taste yeah. than whiskey is. Mm. So it, it does have a, a, a wider audience than whiskeys because yeah, you do have to acquire a taste for certain yeah. parts, certain whiskeys. I mean, I'm not a massive big um, Isla smoky whiskey fan uh, as such. Yeah. Many people are, I suppose, <laughs> but there is a market there for them. But when we talk about rums, you have rums that are lighter in body, you have full-bodied rums, you have sweeter style rums, you have the spice rums. Mm-hmm. Um, so you have unaged and age rums. So there's so many different styles yeah. of rums out there that there must be a rum out there for you. So which one does this fall into? So the Havana so one, Club hmm. 7? 
So this is Havana Club 7. Um, so the youngest rum in this blend is seven years old. It's a minimum age rum. Made in Cuba. Okay. Um, it falls under the category of what we call lighter style rums, um, where it's made in a column still. It's uh, much more subtle. But then once you put it into the barrels uh, to get that color and the aging, it starts to pick up some of the natural flavors of the environment and of the barrels. So you're going to hopefully pick up things like tobacco and uh, a bit of wood and a touch of fruit, uh, citrus fruit yeah. as well. So, so it's okay. a really lovely golden yeah. Color. Yeah, because the first thing you do is look at it. Yeah. <laughs> Although, don't always be deceived by the color uh, as well, okay. because uh, um, some rums, uh, just like some whiskeys, will add a touch of caramel inside yeah. there just for consistency That's of color. That's good to know. Um, yeah. As well. So, um, rums used to be labeled as white, gold, and dark, which is really misleading mm. because you can have a, a, a white rum that's put loads of caramel in it and make it look old Interesting. Uh, as such. So, color's great to actually look at, but it's, um, it's only just the initial uh, entry into the rum. Next is the nose. Mm hmm. Very important. Remember, it's 40% alcohol, a little okay. bit stronger than wine, so don't give it a massive little <laughs> whirl and stick your nose in there. You're burning his in your nose. Um, so, um, yeah, so it's 40% alcohol. I like to go from one nostril to another. So I'm just taking in some of the aromas inside there. And as I said, you're going to be hopefully picking up a, uh, some vanillas and mm. um, a bit of wood and some, I guess, spices, sweet spices mm. like ginger as well. It's, it it's smells balanced, doesn't mm. it? There's yeah. not sort of one overpowering. It's like a yeah, real nice yeah, collection. Yeah, of and, that's, and that's credit to together. the master blenders um, mm. from Cuba um, and the Pernod Ricard that actually owned the company, the French Connection. Okay. <laughs> so can we taste it now, please? Yes, yeah, always, <laughs> I'm, I'm desperate to always, today. Oh, that's so good. Mm. I always forget how good Havana 7 is. <laughs> uh, this, of, of, the, of the Havana range, that's probably my favourite. Mm. Um, it's, it's really nicely balanced. Um, you get that initial sweetness on your on palate, mm. but then it dries off quite quickly, which yeah. is synonymous with a lot of the uh, Cuban-style rums. And I also get fruit-wise, I always get a little bit of like a green apple, uh, just a touch mm. of green apple on there, just on the finish, on the end. Um, and those type of aromas and flavors is what, is what we play around with when we're creating cocktails and designing cocktails to um, actually complement the rum, or if we're pairing that with food. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, the great thing about rums like this is that there are so much flavors and aromas to work with. You can just go in different directions when we're making different cocktails. Yeah. And is um, food pairing something you're seeing a lot more of? Mm. Seeing a lot of food pairing. Um, a lot of a lot of bars now and restaurants are serving either little um, nibbles to actually complement cocktails or to complement what's called the actual rums um, and create that experience because that's what people want now. They want an experience, not just drink a rum and yeah. that's it. Yeah. Uh, have an experience and give you something to talk about, something to stick on Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so next, what are we going for? Is it the right. Appleton? Yeah. Yes, we're going over to uh, the island where my parents are from. <laughs> okay, <laughs> tell us about this one. So this one is the, used to, in fact, this rum used to be called the Appleton 12 or the Extra. Uh, now it's called Rare Blend because it's a, a blend a blend of rare rums. Uh, about 20 different rums are used okay. in this blend to create this product. Now the youngest rum in this blend is 12 years old. So in Jamaica, same as in Cuba, when you put an age statement on the bottle, that's the youngest Okay. Um, rum inside a blend. There are some com countries, uh, let's say Guatemala, for example, that yeah. use average aging or they use um, Solera aging. So it's yeah. the oldest rum um, or an average age rum on the label. So you have to look at the label and see where it's from. If you see it's from Jamaica or Cuba, you know that the age statement is the youngest yeah. in the blend. Yeah. I think what's also worth saying about Appleton's mm. is 
uh, the master blender, Joy Spence. Joy Spence, Auntie Joy. Who is yeah. a legend. She is, she is. Um, she's a fantastic lady, yeah. and she is actually the first master blender mm-hmm. in, in the, the world. Industry. Yeah, in the yeah. spirits industry, not just rum. That's incredible. First, yeah, yeah, 1981 when she joined the company. She actually just celebrated the 35 years in the industry. Special um, lady. She had a special dinner last week for her, but yeah, she's, she's amazing. Fantastic, amazing. Great palate, great nose. Um, really understands her rums mm. and, uh, and her chemistry as well. Mm. So I've already cheated and got my nose straight in here. <laughs> get in there straight away. I can smell chocolate. Is yes. that me? Brilliant. Exactly. Good. Definitely get, <laughs> I'm definitely learning. Get. No, you're doing well. You're doing well. You definitely get dark chocolate yeah. on this yeah. particular rum. Um, you also get a little bit of um, what we call the orange peel note. It's like the skin yeah. of the orange. Uh, a little bit of that. A uh, bit of toffee. Mm. Uh, touches of, uh, touches of um, uh, orange notes as well. Cooked orange as well as the orange peel. Uh, wood. It's a lot more like sweet spices, baked fruits rather baked than fruit, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a little bit stronger as yeah. well. Bottled at forty-three percent mm-hmm. alcohol by volume, but again, a big favorite in the rum community. This particular rum, um, but it's great in the other spirit community. I like to give this this rum blind to whiskey drinkers or brandy drinkers and say, "Oh, what's this?" And some a lot of them say, "Well." It's not rum. <laughs> yes, it is. And it's a really, really good one. I've, again, cheated and had a sip mm. um, before okay. both of you. Sorry, I'm keen. I don't keen. blame you. I don't blame um, you. Yeah, the rum's there to be drunk. It's really <laughs> smooth. Very smooth. Even um, though it's stronger, it seems a lot more yeah. palatable. Than... And again, it's one of those balanced, balanced rums, as you mentioned yeah. with the first one, where you get an array of different flavors, just nothing peaks. Um, mm. It's subtly, subtly there. And the longer you leave it, the more flavors you start to bring out. As the alcohol starts to evaporate, and you start to get underneath at some of the deeper flavors. And okay. so you start picking up things like more chocolates or yeah. a bit of mocha uh, inside there, as well as the woody notes and vanillas. Really, really good. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Ooh, nice and warm as it goes. It is, yeah. I'm starting to feel very cheery. <laughs> okay. And then our last one, Sarah, what have we got there? Yeah, the last one is Diplomatica. A reserve exclusiva, which is or the Dre rum, as you call it, (laughs) (laughs) which I believe is from Venezuela. From Venezuela, exactly. Yeah. Okay, Um, Ian, tell us about this one. So, Diplomatico Reserve Exclusiva is uh, one of the bartenders' favourites. It's also one of the fastest-growing brands in the world. Um, It's uh, one of those rums that I like to call a dessert rum. Uh, one of the reasons why is because they're a little bit sweeter than some of the other rums. What they do is uh, they blend in aged sugars like a cognac, um, like cognacs do with their mm. uh, dosage as such. So, um, and the rums inside here are a blend of heavy and light rums. And, uh, and another thing with this particular product is it's not only made from molasses like the Havana Club and the Appleton and like 90% of most rums, it's actually also made from syrup. As okay. well, rum, uh, cane syrup. So they get cane okay. syrup, they distill that in these pot stills, and then they have molasses, which they distill in column stills, and then they age the pot still rums for 12 years. And then wow. they blend in some younger rums from the column still inside there. So it's a blend of rums. Yeah. Um, the youngest in there is six years old, but the oldest is about 12. Okay. Yeah, so it's a, they don't use an age statement on there, but it's a mm. beautiful, as I said, uh, it's mm. a sipping after dinner, sweeter star rum. Yeah. Just before we get into this mm. one, I've still got. The taste that's such a long finish, it on is the a long finish on the Appleton. I can still taste it in my mouth. I'm, gonna, I'm going to cleanse my palate just to make sure it's uh, <laughs> ready prepared for this one. But it's a darker color, isn't it, than mm-hmm. the others already? Yeah, darker color. But again, that could be uh, it, on any rum. It could be caramel added to that. Yeah. Um, it could be extensive aging in barrels. Yeah. So color is color is nice to look at, but it's not not always uh, a reflection of the aging inside yeah. the product. That will come with taste and balance on your palate. Nose-wise, on here, I get the first thing that jumps out on me is a little bit of banana and toffee. Bananas, but honestly, you should say that. Yeah, a bit of banana yeah. pie, caramel, brown sugar. 
vanilla. It's, yeah, it's really vanilla. Almost like that kind of cream soda. Yeah. 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 Is it a bit smoky as well? Or am I yeah, you get a touch that? of smokiness. Yeah, a lot of smokiness will come from um, the, the barrels that they'll use. Um, they, they burn the inside of barrels when they're aging rums. Okay. Uh, some of that smokiness might just come from the way it's been aging in a natural environment, yeah. taking in some mm. of that natural uh, Caribbean or tropical <laughs> vibe and mm. essence and terroir. <laughs> Ooh, that's really it's good. Starting to get a bit more husky now. With each <laughs> that's really nice. So again, that this one's bottled at forty percent alcohol. As I say, it's a little bit sweeter. So it's as I say, a much more end of the meal dessert yeah. style of yeah, rum. Yeah. But again, a lot of bartenders use that in cocktails. They like to make things like rum old fashions and rum Manhattans. Yeah, um, using this particular product. But it's a really nice, easy entry level uh, rum into the big boy. Territory, yeah, 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 <laughs> like yeah. the Appletons of the world. This is a nice way to actually introduce people to uh, a, a category of rum, uh, which is the after-dinner uh, dessert rums yeah. of such, but uh, still seen as a premium. And uh, when you take into consideration that these rums are aging in the tropics and they're aging a lot faster than spirits mm. that are aged in, say, Scotland. Yeah. In fact, in Venezuela, they age um, five times faster. Uh, wow, because they're losing ten percent really? of alcohol every year for evaporation. Yeah, Scotland's two yeah. percent. So a rum that has a predominantly twelve-year-old body inside there—that's like six-year-old maturity of whiskey. And that's what people talk about when they talk about the duppies share. The duppies share, isn't it? exactly. Yeah. yeah, we have that in Jamaica. The duppies are the Jamaican ghosts that okay. take their portion of the rum. <laughs> yeah. I love that. They're a little bit more happier than the angels in Scotland. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. That was so that interesting. Delicious. Yeah, thank you. Super, super interesting to try all of those. And they're also do- so different in their own way. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that's, and again, that's that's a beauty. I mean, I know rum lovers that would only drink Havana Club, only drink Appleton, or only drink uh, Diplomatico. And that's their favourites. But it doesn't mean the others are inferior. Yeah. It just means they're a different style. Yeah. And that's why I always say there's a rum out there for everybody. So what would be your advice to people who are kind of new to the rum category and they don't, they're looking at their supermarket mm. shelf mm. or their off-license shelf yeah. and they don't know what to go for? Yeah. What, what are the kind of questions to ask? Um, there? Well, first of all is, um, well, make sure they buy something within their price range. You don't want to spend a lot of money on a, on a rum that you're not going to enjoy. So I would work my way up to the, the bigger, more expensive brands um, out there. So look for something that's age, that has an age statement on there, and it's from the English Caribbean or from um, um, from Cuba. That's about, say, five, five years old, three to five years old. Something okay. really easy, entry level. Yeah. Yeah. And you could either sit that by itself or mix it with your favorite mixer, uh, Popular choice is ginger beer, ginger ale at the moment. Yeah. Um, ting. <laughs> bit of ting. Yeah, love it's ting. Like rubber ting. Um, and then if you want to start to spend a little bit more money, say the £20, £25 mark, I would go for rums um, that have a little bit of a name, like okay. the Appleton Range, the Havana Range, the Pomatico. Um, and then you, you you have a product that other people have tried and tasted and they've written yeah. about it online or their, their comments. So you look at what other people are saying about this particular product online yeah. and make that that judgment there. And then after that, come to Rumfest. And just yeah, exactly. <laughs> as possible and uh, and then make your own opinion on what your favourite rums are Great. I sell uh, olive outing yes yep, olive outing. <laughs> I've already put it in my diary I'm, I'm there <laughs> Okay, so if people want to find out a bit more information, mm-hmm. where should they go? Uh, come to the webpage, uh, there's rumexperience.com, where they find everything about rum and their experience of rum, here, especially here in the UK, um, or about the Rumfest, rumfest.co.uk, where you can see uh, what, what happened last year, some videos <laughs> and uh, some of the rums are, that's going to be exposed and uh, and hopefully uh, encourage you to buy a ticket. <laughs> Perfect. And if you can't make it down to Rumfest, yes. we, if you visit olivemagazine.com, we've got Ian's pick of the top 10 rum bars in the UK. There you go. So, yeah. Rum for everyone. (laughs) It's my kind of experience. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you. Next, if rum's not your thing, then how about afternoon tea? 
Web editor Charlotte and digital writer Alex have tried dozens of afternoon teas between them for our website reviews, so who better to discuss this British tradition that keeps evolving all the time? So we've uh, tried our fair share of afternoon teas in London and around the country, haven't we, Charlotte? We have. Um, We've been talking about our favourite afternoon teas, and mine is... um, sketch in the David Shrigley room because um, I don't know if anybody's been but have you been? I haven't but I hear it's very pink. Yes it's very pink it's velvet pink and black and white so we've got lots of velvet pink uh, sofas and seats and then they've got David Shrigley's sketches on the walls that are black and white sketches they're they're um not for the faint-hearted. Mm. I'll just put it like that. A bit rude. Um, yes. Um, so yeah, go and have a look. Even if you can just go and have a look at that. Um, but also, they've got lots of little twists on the afternoon tea. Like there's really gorgeous little toasty wrapped up um, in a in a yellow ribbon. And um, what flavour is the toasty? It is a Comte cheese. So it's Comte cheese, so it's like oozing with cheese. It comes out of when you unwrap it, just like, yeah, it's brilliant. Um, Yeah, so that's that's my favourite. That's your favourite. My favourite in London is at Ting, which is at Shangri-La in the Shard. Oh, lovely. The views are amazing, especially at night time. It's quite a romantic place to have afternoon tea, I think. And they do an an Asian-style afternoon tea, as well as a regular style. Mm -hmm. So instead of sandwiches, you get steamed prawn dumplings and crab rolls. Amazing. Which are more savoury than your regular afternoon tea. Yeah, because a lot of afternoon teas are a bit too sweet, aren't they? Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. we do find them too sweet generally. Um, But we have seen another trend yeah as well as the asian teas uh we have seen a second trend come about these gentlemen's teas yeah um not sure what we think of those it's a lovely idea because it's got it's far more savory so you get pork pies maybe a yeah, scotch, scotch egg, egg. there's really good one at covent garden hotel and they do mini like mini fish and chips scotch eggs um, and then you can, I think you can pair it with a Negroni or something. Oh, brilliant. You see, I would love that. Yeah, I'm not a I don't know why it has to be so a gentleman. I'm not quite sure where that comes into it. But no. regardless of yes. the name, we are excited by that trend because sometimes they can be a little too sweet. Yes, yeah, definitely. Especially when you've got the scones and then the cake, the cake um, course. Because I usually, well, at the beginning of our afternoon tea um, outings in London, I always used to be too full by the end so you have to learn to pace yourself it's always like oh yeah more sandwiches please and then you have scones and then it comes to the pastries and you can't even you can't even taste anything there's a fine art learning (laughs) to pace yourself for an afternoon tea but it's not just london because there are lots of brilliant afternoon teas outside of london and you live relatively near one oh yeah well i'm from yorkshire um and um, if anybody's been to Yorkshire, I, I would hope that they've been to Betty's. There are there are plenty. I actually went to my first, I went to Betty's for the first time on the day that my mum brought me home from hospital, Aww. which was nice. Did you have a fat yeah. rascal? I did. <laughs> I was probably, well, I, I probably had a mushed up one. Yes, mushed <laughs> I was up. a little fat rascal myself. Yes. Um, but yeah, it's it's brilliant, um, Betty's. You went, didn't you? I recently? did. I went even on my honeymoon. I went twice yeah. on my honeymoon. It's that <laughs> wow. good. 
I love their, as well as their afternoon tea, I love their rosti. Their oh, oh my gosh. Oh, it's just the to die for. salmon rosti. With the chutney. Yeah. Jeez. Oh, there's also, there's also a chicken rosti with caramelised onion chutney. Oh my God. Oh. We're supposed to be talking about afternoon tea, yes. aren't we? Yes, we are. But they, they've got a room upstairs in Harrogate where you have afternoon tea mm-hmm. and it's very traditional and posh and you wear, yeah. and wear nice things and it's a proper afternoon tea and it's done very well. Yeah, because that, that's what, um, there's a, quite a divide in um, the afternoon teas that I've been on. I'm, I presume it's the same with you, that there's the very, very traditional, quite posh, like white linen tablecloths, yep. uh, you know, lots of nice fine crockery, fine china. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get ones such as Sketch, which have a little bit of a twist. And then you get ones that are completely out there. Mm. Like um, I went to an afternoon tea at uh, Yoacha, uh, which is, was an Asian afternoon tea and mm. it's all dim sum and mm. Chinese green teas and jasmine tea and it was brilliant, really, yeah. really different. Did it feel more um, like a meal than a regular afternoon tea? Um, because it's a bit more savoury. Yes, yeah, but they did have, you can have the two courses. So you have all the dim sum and then you have macaroons at the end. So they have Asian I inspired say cheese. No, uh, not macaroons. No, no, macaroons. Okay. Well, macaron, however however you want to um, pronounce it. But um, they had like yuzu and uh, grapefruit and all these amazing flavours. Um, yeah, so that was a really, really good It's nice one. to have something a bit different yeah. every now and again. But we can't really talk about afternoon tea without talking about cream and jam yes and controversial are you supposed to put the jam on first or are you supposed to put the cream on first i know that the cornish people say jam first cream second yes in devon it's cream first jam second yes i've got cornish and devonshire friends who are very adamant on those right fisticuffs over what goes first i personally think that the cream should go first and i will tell you why because if you put the jam first and then the cream on top, it creates a bit of a mess, a bit of a splodge, okay. which doesn't look great. Whereas if you put the cream on first and then the jam sort of gently piled on top, it looks more Instagram friendly. Right. That's my shallow reason. Okay, well, I am going to contradict you. Right. I always, always put jam first because I'm a massive fan of the texture of clotted cream. Right. And always, it always has to be clotted cream. Agreed. If someone serves me an afternoon tea with whipped cream it's it's a big no-no um but um i think that if you put the cream first then it melts into the scone Mm -hmm. and i know some people would like that but i like it when the jam melts a little bit into it so you get the the flavors of the jam coming out yes and then on top you get the real like the real difference in texture yes. contrast with the cream and it's like a big dollop on the top and i i know it is it is a bit harder to spread but <laughs> um but yeah that's that's my preference well actually reason. i think that your reason is probably better than mine so i might, <laughs> I might swap to that Right. There's lots and lots of uh, afternoon tea reviews on our website. Yes, we've got. In fact, our best afternoon teas in London feature is our best performing feature ever Mm. since the website launched. We've got loads on there. We've all visited them personally, so you can trust the reviews. And Mm -hmm. we've also recently added a best afternoon teas outside of London feature. Mm -hmm. So no matter where you are in the country, there is something for everybody. Love it or hate it, we've seen octopus and Purin on loads of trendy menus recently. 
This week, I went to top Italian restaurant Lanima to find out how they turn this scary-looking beast into stunning plates of food. So this morning, I've come to Lanima, which is one of Olive's favorite Italian restaurants in the city. And I'm talking to head chef Antonio Favucci um, about octopus and why it's become such a hot trend. So Antonio, octopus is pretty common on Italian menus, I guess. Was it something you grew up eating? When I was young, um, in my family, I always seen octopus cook um, normally as a, as a food for all family, for all uh, feasts generally. Uh, I used to see octopus cook, especially on the weekend, in a um, family lunch, okay? My memory of octopus back in the past is I used to see, uh, this is really come back on my mind, yeah. when I used to see my uncle uh, picking up a fresh octopus from the sea <laughs> and beat the octopus through a rock just to tenderize <laughs> the octopus. Okay. That's a, a very nice legend yeah. we used to say because many people say octopus fresh is very tough, you need to freeze, which is true, it tenderizes when you freeze. And, uh, you know, that's that's my, my more recent memory. So that was his, his way of tenderizing? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's his way. But I think it wasn't only his way, it was a really common way for all family because they didn't realize that freezing the octopus would tenderize them. Yeah. So the normal way was beating through the rocks as soon as it was uh, picking up from the water. And that was the best way, I believe. <laughs> So, we've been seeing octopus pop up on loads of different menus recently, and it just seems to be a real trend at the moment. Why, why do you think that is? Why do you think people are starting to really love it? Because it's quite a scary thing, isn't it? Yeah, looking at octopus, I would say, is a, is a very odd creature when you look at it. And people get scared sometimes of these eight tentacles moving, or uh, uh, the shapes is a bit weird. But I think it's getting more popular now all over the world. Uh, I believe Mediterranean Sea is really uh, was really common to to have octopus all over Greece, Spain, uh, Italy, Portugal. Yeah. Actually, Portugal they say around is one of the best quality around yeah, the world. Yeah, people have had it when they went on a holiday. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And as well, I would say a big portion is made out of um, Asian people. Uh, in Asia, especially in Japan, yeah. all over the years, back in the past, it's been used a lot, a lot, yeah. a lot by Japanese. So I would say uh, in England, uh, you arrive a bit later, but now I think with all these uh, various chefs from all over the world, just concentrate in uh, a little city like London, which yeah. is no little, uh, <laughs> it becomes a big trend. And everyone is, cook, is cooking octopus. Uh, we got a lot of Spanish and Italian restaurants uh, fighting to find the best yeah. recipe. Do, not, they, do you copy each other? Uh, <laughs> I try not to. Not you, not, not you. To, do they copy but I probably they do because yeah. sometimes uh, I, I believe Italian we tend to keep the octopus more uh, hard on cooking, yeah. uh, tender but not overcooked. Yeah. Tell us a few ways that you might serve it up on, on a menu. Um, you know, maybe one hot dish, one cold dish. Salad with some garnish, some pesto, some olive oil, or they can be grilled. Yeah. So they go up smoky flavor from the grill and you can sear them. Yeah. And just what you need is the base, boiled octopus. 
and then it's suitable for many, many use. So you're letting the octopus flavor shine. Yeah. Because that's the, the hero of the dish. Exactly. But I used to, you know, it's very common in Italy to use them as a terrine. So once it's boiled and still hot, there is this lovely juice, Irlilis, which has become very jelly if you make it cold. So putting them in a terrine and pressing, it becomes a solid piece where you can show cutting with a knife, a little layer. And I bet it looks octopus. really beautiful as yeah. well. Yeah. yeah, it looks, it does, it does, better than when he's alive. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I would say um, a good octopus, uh, a, a really nice trick is just to smell the sea yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. of the water in it. Because if the octopus fresh. is not fresh, yeah. you realize straight away, yeah, oh straight away. <laughs> Otherwise, it, it tastes and smells so beautifully, seawater. So we've moved into the kitchen and Antonio's shown us how to cook the octopus. It's a magnificent beast. We'll put some pictures up. Um, so we've got a pan of, as you said, it has to be really boiling. This yes. Is, this is fiercely really boiling water. No simmering, boiling hot water, no salt. You know, you start from the top and you push the octopus at least three times round down the water to make it curl. You push it, you push it. It's done. You see the tentacle? Yeah, they're curling. It came up. So when you put the octopus in the boiling pan and push it down a few times, the tentacles are curling into that beautiful classic octopus shape. So now the water is going to start to boil again. We don't want aggressive boiling, but a constant boiling. Constant kind of boil, yeah. And I'll tell you a trick. Again, uh, a really uh, legend was uh, in Italy to put a cork inside the water. Okay. People used to say, oh, it's going to tenderize. For me, doesn't change anything, I have to say. <laughs> it's just old-fashioned legend, but you know, if this was a, a very old-fashioned Italian mamas, Italian mama's <laughs> way of cooking. So we're gonna leave this nice octopus was about two kilo sites for at least 45 minutes. So back in the kitchen, Antonio's just gonna take us through one of the dishes that they have on the menu at the moment at Lanama, which is a um, well, which is a smoked uh, aubergine caviar uh, served with the octopus. Uh, the, basically, what we go here, I, I, I go through yeah, all the ingredients. the ingredients. Yeah, basically, what I call this juice is a bit smoky, yeah. okay, because we try to smoke everything in my Josper oven. So I've got beautiful black aubergine from Italy, Romano peppers, uh, I've got lovely smoked burrata cheese, and this one we serve fresh as wow, it is. That looks beautiful. I've got olives from Sicily cooked in again oven yeah okay so it's different quality i'm not sure you ever tried this one but they taste lovely they are a little bit bitter and smoky and then we got a bit of ingredient which is my merlot vinegar it goes very well it cut it's very acidic it's cabernet so, sauvignon vinegar which is much richer than yeah it's much richer and it helps uh, to make a liaison between the smoke flavor on this dish the anduja which is spicy yeah and you know, so and the mint and the marjoram and the olives. So I think it's a good combination of ingredients on the box. So I'll show you what we do here. Basically, we I cut the octopus enough. Then you've got you wanna have a nice tentacle out of it. Let's put this one, which is not too big, so it's gonna look nice. You know, and other things I forgot to say. When you, you overcook an octopus is visible, why as well? Because all this beautiful skin yeah. 
the octopus has, it's gonna fall apart. Oh, okay. So when you see a white octopus, ask yourself what happened. Because probably it's been overcooked. <laughs> it's been okay? okay. For me, this nice part doesn't uh, bother me if it's not too much, because it's quite jelly. Yeah, okay, nice. so I generally take out what I can, the excess, but not everything. Okay, so I leave like this. So, so you're trimming it into a nice neat yeah, shape. Nice yeah. meat, nice shape. You want a nice tentacle finger. And what we do, we're gonna uh, sear this one with a bit of uh, olive oil in my plancha. Okay. Before we do that, obviously, my sous chef Piero has melt the andouille without any ingredient, just with a hot base. Okay. So basically, the andouille is a pork and chili, and it melts really quickly Lovely. because the fat. It's kind of a soft. Soft, salami. Yeah, soft yeah. salami is credible, I would say. Oh, yeah. It's very suitable for many years. Yeah. I mean, those days in England, it's very common to, to see andouille, okay. and everybody recognizes now. So, can I have olive oil, Piero? Cold octopus after it's been cooked for 45 minutes. We have a hot plancha, or you can use hot pan. Yeah. It doesn't matter. A drop of olive oil, and we start to sear it. Gentle, you don't need any any herbs, anything at the moment, just octopus and olive oil. I don't add any sea salt to it because... So you're not, you're not cooking that, you're just bringing it back to light, you're just giving yes. it a bit of heat. Yeah, heat and... Yes, yeah. correct. A bit of sear because I think uh, this type of food get really lovely when it's seared, similar to calamari, squid, yeah. similar to cuttlefish. So our octopus is seared now octopus and we're... Seared. We have our lovely andouille melt. So what we do, we just dip in the andouille yeah. for a couple of seconds. We don't want to make too spicy, okay? Yes. Believe it or not, the andouille looks very hot, but it's not because the 70% of the salami is made out of pork, the 30% is made out of chili and paprika and peppers. Yeah, yeah. So it's not that hot, how many people believe, okay? So once it's deep and done, and it's very nice color, yeah, right? we're going to place our dish. Okay, so we're ready to plate the dish now. So we're starting off with... Um... So we do a bit of aubergine cover, mixed already with majoran, yep. salt and oregano. Okay, and this is the base, the bed of the dish. Okay? And the aubergine caviar has just been warmed through. Just so nice I'm just putting a nice shape in a copper ring. So that's the base. Petal of Romano peppers. So roasted Romano peppers. Roasted, roasted Romano peppers, yes. We serve on top of it. So aubergine caviar with majoran, oregano, a bit of mint in the peppers yeah. as a herbs. Then we're gonna put our octopus tentacle close wow. to the veg. A lovely watercress. What I add to it, please try these olives. So these are the smoked olives? Yes. What I do, I, I took out the pimps, mm. the stone, and I just put two, just to don't overpower the dish because they're quite strong and they're bitter. Lovely. And trust very me, subtle, trust me, it's a great yeah. combination with this dish. What I've got here is a little bunch of watercress fontaine from France, the best quality of watercress, I think. And uh, we finish with my lovely burrata. Wow which again, differences from the normal one, it's been smoked, yep. okay? So burrata is a cheese from Puglia, and this is from Andrea today. Um, and then we finish with my 
lovely dressing around. I did a bit of olive oil out of the watercress. Oh, nice, so, yeah, so a bit of watercress oil. It's green? Gorgeous. Okay, so that's the dish. That is the, the prettiest octopus dish I think I've ever seen. <laughs> so um, now you just have to try and I'm tell me if I was wrong or right. Okay, I'm going to try this <laughs> one. So uh, Chef Antonio plated up our beautiful octopus dish and someone was so greedy that um, he's just had to do it again because <laughs> I launched in and ate no, it and no. it is fantastic. You've got a gorgeous balance of slightly spiced tender octopus, the smokiness of the burrata, the sort of salty, slightly bitter um, olives, and then this gorgeous, um, again, slightly smoky, sweet red pepper. And with the dressings, it's just such a good dish. So thank you so much. Thank today. you. Thank, thank you for showing us octopus. Thank you for cooking us octopus. Thank you for feeding me. And um, yeah. My pleasure. My pleasure. Thanks for coming and for making the time. Thanks for listening to the Olive Magazine podcast. Please don't forget to go and review us and rate us on iTunes. For more information on things we've discussed in this episode, head to our website, olivemagazine.com. You can also pick up a copy of our new July issue now from newsagents or download the app version. Laura, the editor, will be back hosting next week when we'll be talking about this year's trendiest vegetable, cauliflower, and why Macedonia is the new hot foodie destination. See you then.